This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com. Good morning, everyone. How's everybody doing? You know, I'm just blessed to be back. My wife and I enjoyed a week away in Myrtle Beach, and uh, we came back to this, and I'm glad that the the sun is on, at least the sun is on the inside, if it's not on the outside. But uh, we had a great time, so I'm just blessed to be here to be able to share with you the word that God has laid on my heart. So let's just pray and ask God's anointing upon it. Father God, we want to thank you for all that you are going to do here today. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come to prepare each and every heart to receive the anointed teaching of your word. Father, as our hearts are being made fertile ground, I pray for the anointing of your Holy Spirit to rest upon my tongue to bring forth your word with clarity and understanding. A word that the adversary cannot withstand nor contradict, but a word that will accomplish his intended purpose, which is to heal and to deliver your people from destruction. So, Father, we ask that you have your way here today. Be glorified in all that we say, all that we do, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're taking notes, uh, we're going to be wrapping up the series that we've started a few weeks ago called Why We Can't Stay Here. The title of the message is going to be called Let the Past Be the Past. Let the past be the past. As I have been involved in various ministries over the last five or six years, whether it be life skills or trek ministry, our primary objective is to bring healing from the wounds of our past that cause us to live reactively. And what I mean by that is that reactive living is where we have a tendency to say or do some things and we don't know why we say or do it. Now, I don't want to show the hands, but have anyone been there that you said that and the moment you said it, you said, that's going to come back and bite me? Yeah. <laughs> and if you're like me, you've probably done it more than once. I have a tendency to do things like that. But one of the things that I've found is that a lot of times, even though we are believers, we've received Jesus Christ into our lives, we sometimes still are stuck. Some people say, you know, I gave this Christianity thing a, a chance, and it just, it just is not doing it for me. It just is not, it's not all I expected it to be. And I find that a lot of times, because we, we have been so wounded so deeply, that we live our lives reactively, and we don't know why we do the things we do or say the things that we do. And, and sometimes we do these things because they are familiar we know that we're supposed, to do, we're supposed to respond a certain way intellectually, but it hasn't gotten to our hearts yet, and we, and we kind of just react. See, if we're not intentional about the thing and, and how we respond to things, we revert back to a default mechanism. That's called our subconscious, and we just act out. And it gets us into trouble. And I have found that if we don't deal with these things, if we don't deal with the wounds of our past, it will become toxic. Toxic, not only in our own lives, but also in the lives of every person that we encounter. We become toxic to them. In fact, a lot of times we, we begin to, uh, when we have these types of behaviors, we begin to blame other people. We begin to blame other things. You know, and one of the things that we really encourage people in our Trek program is that we're not looking for excuses. We're not looking for reasons to blame. We're looking for understanding because when we understand some things, we can begin to make changes. It's the things we don't understand that drive us crazy, right? Yeah. Because, you know, why did I just do that? Why did I just say that? Oh, we don't know where it comes from. 
But we find that a lot of times these things just raise up from the wounds of our past. But many have the attitude, well, you know, the past is the past and you really can't change it. That's true. You can't change your past, but you can change the way it affects you today by being, and being intentional. And so we can live reactively where the wounds of your past drive your behavior, or you can deal with it by not allowing it to control or to influence your behavior. Now, how many people are in the Trek program that are in here? Just a show of hands. Okay, we have several people, and these people that you can go to and talk to after this, this message, and they will, they will validate the things I'm going to share with you here today. That a lot of times we think we're just okay, or well, that's just the way I am, get used to it. How many have heard that? <laughs> and, it's, and you find that, there's all, that our wounds and our behavior doesn't come out of a vacuum. Our behaviors are learned. They are learned. And, and, and so because we grow up in such chaos sometimes that we think our response is normal. That's just the way it is. And so, but, but, there are, but, but the Bible has given us a standard of how we should live our lives. And I want to share that with you today is how can we let the past be the past? How can we get beyond that and become the person that Jesus Christ died for us to be? How can we do that? Because I've seen so many people start out so zealous with the things of God. And then when chaos breaks out, they revert back to their old ways of doing things because it's familiar. It's not right but it's comfortable. And they know it's going to cause them pain even though they, they know that when they do this, it's wrong, but yet they continue to do these things. It's because the wound of your past has driven your behavior and, and you're, just, you're, just re, you're, re, you're reacting and not responding. Sometimes we have to give ourselves an intentional time out and say, okay, how should I respond to this? Because it's so easy just to react. Sometimes we think we have constipation of the brain and diarrhea of the mouth. And so we just got to learn how to respond accordingly to what the Word says. So if you have your Bibles, open with me to Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. You know, so many times, and this is sad because I, I've, I have loved ones, I have friends, and many people I know that have allowed their past to define them. And they live their lives according to that definition. Let me just throw this out. It's not in my notes, but I just feel impressed to share this. Let me throw this out with you. How many, how many are familiar with the story of Rahab the harlot? Rahab the harlot. Do you know that all throughout the Bible, she's called Rahab the harlot? How would you like to have the word harlot attached to your name throughout the scriptures? It comes Rahab the harlot. But when you get into the New Testament in Matthew chapter 1, in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, she is just called Rahab. You see, you can allow your past to define you, or you can say, I'm God's treasure. God has, God has a purpose for me because my past has been tainted, because my past has been disgusting. You do not have to allow that to define you. In fact, give you a little... little history here, a little Bible story, Rahab became the mother of Boaz. How many remember the story of Ruth? The story of Ruth. Well, it was Boaz who was the kinsman, kinsman redeemer that took, that took Ruth to be his bride. And Ruth became the grandmother of David. 
and follow that genealogy. Rahab was the mother of Boaz. So here the people defined her as being a, 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 a harlot. They defined her as being a harlot. But yet God said, this is a treasure. This is someone I want to use. And every one of us here may, uh, may be allowing yourselves to be defined by your, by your past. But God is saying, I have something inside of you. You are a vessel. You are a vessel designed for my use if you will simply yield yourself to my calling in your life. And I can use you to transform your sphere of influence. God can use you to transform your family. Every person you come in contact with, God can use you to transform them because God sees you as a treasure and not as a harlot to be discarded. So in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. The first thing we have to do in order to let the past be the past is, number one, we have to have a realistic view of where you are. We have to have a realistic view of where we are. So many times we live a life of denial. Just saying that's, that's the family I was a part of. That's the environment I was a part of. That, that's, you know, that's the culture I grew up in. You just got to accept me for who I am. And then they just kind of go through their lives playing the, the victim card instead of the victor card. Philippians 3, verse 12, he says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. What Paul is saying here is this. I don't have it all together. He's being real. I don't have it all together. I'm not perfect, but I have a goal in mind. I want to draw closer to Jesus and his purpose for me. And as I pursue the things of God... I'm getting further away from my past. You see, as I begin to fix my, my gaze upon the prize of Christ, I'm not allowing the things to deter my, my approach to him. I'm not allowing things to impede me. I am moving forward because I am, I've determined, I've got my, my, my jaw set like flint, and I'm not going to remove my gaze. I'm going to look at the prize. But as I begin to look at the prize, I also still see my shortcomings. But yet, I see one who also sees the end from the beginning, and he knows. You know, Jesus believes in you when you don't believe in yourself. Because he sees the end from the beginning, and he has made an investment in you. You are a treasure. He has invested. He gave of his only begotten son that you and I could have eternal life and experience the fullness of fellowship with him throughout eternity. You see, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You see, friends, we read that scripture and we think, well, we have arrived. You see, I'm a new creation. 
Yes, you are a new creation. In fact, the, words, the word in the Greek creation means a, a new kind of species that has never existed before. You are a new creation. But yet, how many know that, that there's a principle called sowing and reaping? And that there are some consequences for some of the bad choices we have made in our lives prior. But yet, God gives us the ability to overcome those things. Let me give you an example. You know, wouldn't it be nice... That once you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it would be like a spiritual car wash. You, you begin to walk through the spiritual car wash and you come outside in a white robe singing, Holy, Holy, Holy. Wouldn't that be nice? But it doesn't work that way. There's a process of growth to our sanctification so that we can become the people that Jesus died for us to be. There's a warfare out there. There is an enemy that is trying to destroy you and to, and to kill and take and rob you of God's credibility in your life. There's someone that doesn't want you to succeed, but Jesus wants you to succeed. One of the things I have learned is that the biggest challenge, one of the biggest challenges we have as Christians is that we have to begin to see that there's a difference between, my, between what I do and who I am. Did you catch that? There is a difference between what I do and who I am. Now, I'm trying to become that person consistently. But just because I do something stupid... Now, how many, how many know just because you're a Christian that we don't always act like Christians? Does that mean you're not a Christian? Because sometimes we do dumb things, right? Why do we do dumb things? Because it's so familiar to us. It's become a habit, a way of life for however many years before you receive Christ. And you revert back to those patterns of behavior. So just because I do stupid, dumb things doesn't mean I'm dumb and stupid. Now, some people may debate that, but, <laughs> but in reality, I'm a new creation in Christ. And I'm becoming daily who he died for me to be, to appropriate my fullness of my relationship with him. You see, we call that guilt versus shame. Guilt says, I do bad things. Shame says, I am bad. And you see, that's why parents, why it's so important when we, when we, when we are correcting our children... So many times I've seen parents say this, you're bad. You're a bad child. And a little child believes everything you tell them because they don't have the processing ability in their brains to sort through. Because, see, a child believes, when they look at you, a child, from the age of zero to about about nine or ten, they believe everything you tell them primarily. And so they say, oh, my parents says I'm bad, therefore I must be bad. And they begin to grow up acting bad and doing things like that because they've, they've allowed themselves to be defined by their behavior. And a lot of times we as Christians allow ourselves to be defined by our behavior and not who we are. Now granted, there has to be a positive behavior to be manifested, but we beat ourselves up when we fall short all the time. That's called condemnation. Conviction means I did something wrong. I need to change that behavior and become Christ-like. But so many people throw away the towel and say, I just can't do this. I'm no good. I'm bad. No, Jesus, you have now have the righteousness of Christ when you receive Christ. And, you're now, and you now have his righteousness. He, there's been a great exchange. He took our sin and gave us his righteousness. And so we need to walk and act like that. See, our attitude and our perspective on things may now be different, but we still have to deal with the effects of our past. Growing up in West Virginia, one of my favorite flowers is a rhododendron. So my wife for Father's Day one year bought me a rhododendron. 
And so we planted this rhododendron in a place we had dug up a yucca plant. Okay, you know where I'm going with this. If you've ever had a yucca plant, you know exactly what I'm talking about. A yucca plant looks like an, an aloe plant, but it's just a, it's a glorified weed is what it is. <laughs> and so, so I, I, I dig up this yucca plant. I spray it with all kinds of Roundup to, to kill it, to get it out of the, get it out of the way, because I want to plant my rhododendron there. So I plant my rhododendron there, and I'm marveling how this plant is starting to grow. It's still kind of spindly looking. I don't know what's wrong with it, but... Uh, um, but we, anyway, we get over, we're trying to take care of it, and all of a sudden I go out, I see this yucca starting to grow up around it again. So I go, I start pulling it up again and, and spraying around it again and so forth, but that's like our Christian life. Even though we have been transformed by the, into the image, or we're being transformed to the image of Jesus Christ, sometimes we have these yuccas still in our lives that we just still need to uproot and get them out. And, and if we're persistent, continue to deal with those things and take those things and, 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 and try to kill them, eventually we'll get the victory over those things. But we can't allow this to define us because that's a rhododendron, not a yucca. And so we keep plucking away at it, and eventually the rhododendron is going to have dominance. That's the way it is in our lives. We keep working. We keep, we keep applying our faith and yielding to the wooing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So we, we begin to reflect the image of Jesus Christ. So we have to have a realistic, realistic view of where you are. Number two, we have to replace your old perspective. We have to replace our old perspective. Verse 13, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to, the, to those things which are ahead. Now, no, he did not say he was going to ignore those things that were behind he says, but forgetting those things. See, friends, you have to take active steps to replace the view you currently have of yourself. It is not our past that determines us, but our future. The word forgetting here in the Greek means a conscious refusal to allow the past to absorb our attention or to impede our progress. In other words, you have to be intentional about, by, by, uh, by refusing to allow that to distract you. We break the power of the past by living for the future. I have a goal in mind. I have a prize to behold, and I will not turn to the left or to the right or look behind because my eye is fixed. How many, how many people remember the story of the four-minute mile, the breaking of the four-minute mile? In 1957, uh, in the 50s, during, during the Olympics and so forth, the goal was no one had ever broken the four-minute mile. Everyone had to always run. It was always five minutes plus. Some people have gotten close, but no one was able to get under four minutes. Well, there was two guys. One guy who's considered the fastest guy in the, in, the, in the land at the time. His name was John Landy. And John Landy had prepared, and everyone expected John Landy to be the first man to break the four-minute mile. Well, there was a medical student by the name of Roger Bannister who also had a, quite a reputation of being very fast and, and had a lot of stamina, a lot of endurance. In fact, the hype had worked up so much that, that, that it had built up that Bannister would probably be the only person capable of beating John Landy. And John Landy, you know, had this reputation. He's the, he is the, 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 the fastest minute runner or the mile runner than anybody. And so it came down to the day where they actually were going to face off. They were going to run, race each other, John Landy and Roger Bannister. This is in 1957. 
They, they, the gun goes off, and they're running, and, land, and they're coming around the finish line. Landy has a 10-yard lead over Roger Bannister. But Landy had in his mind, he goes, well, see, Bannister's so fast, he's the only man that could possibly beat me. I wonder where he's at. So as, so as they're racing, and they're, and they're getting ready to cross the finish line, Landy looks off to his left to see where Bannister is, and Bannister passes him and wins by 800th of a second to be the first man to break the four-minute mile. Three minutes and 59 seconds. And so the point is that every time we begin to get distracted from the prize and begin to wonder about the various circumstances, how can I do this? Where am I at in my journey? What is, it, what is so-and-so going to say? What is so-and-so going to do? If you take your eyes off the prize, you may fall short of the goal of your intention. In fact, a few months later, John Landy sets the world record, goes three, three minutes and 57 seconds, and has the world record in the mile. And then again, Bannister and Landy race each other again, and Bannister beats him again. But yet Landy still held the record. But can you imagine that? In the side of his mind, he had already been determined, decided that he could not beat this guy. And a lot of times we have allowed the wounds of our past to direct and to determine our outcome of our future. Oh, yeah, I've experienced this before, and it didn't work, it didn't work out real well. Well, oh, I've tried that, and I fell short. You see, friends, you have to allow God to define you and not your circumstances. You have to allow God to determine your destiny and not other people. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, friends, we have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. It's interesting that we, that our minds, our brains are just such, such delicate creation. Do you know that what happens is, when, you're, when we have these, these uh, neural pathways that are developed in our brain, and, and the habits are formed. And so that's why it's so hard to break a, 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 break a habit, because you, you have to create a new belief system, a new habit that will wire around the old belief system. And eventually, when the new belief system becomes dominant, the old belief system will atrophy and wash away. That's how God created us. But, but because we have done things a certain way for so long, that habit will fight this new belief system. And you have to continue to fight against it with the promise of God's word. And you have to stand firm with what God says about you and not what the world says about you. See, the world will replay the past over and over in, in your mind, good or bad. How many times as a believer, in your mind, the abuses that you've experienced, the rejections that you have occurred in your lives, maybe a divorce, maybe it's a loss of job, all of these things where you have fallen short, broken dreams, wounded heart, damaged emotions, all of these things have caused you to react. But on the other side, what about the, how about those people that cry out for the good old days? Oh, the good old days, how great they were. If, if, if your mindset is still in the good old days, it creates complacency and pride, and you stop growing, you stop learning. I shared a, a few months ago about my brother who, who died at the age of 50 back in January of 2012. He lived a life of self-destruction and self-abuse because he had believed a lie. 
He had believed that he was unlovable. He, was, he had believed that he did not deserve to be loved. He had two marriages that practically, the one that failed in divorce, his second wife died through alcoholism. But he had believed that he, too, did not deserve to be loved because he was so bad. Because every child will take 100% responsibility for every aspect of pain in their lives before the age of puberty. Whether it be a divorce, whether it be a death of a grandparent, a death of a, a parent, a death of a sibling, every child assumes it's their fault subconsciously. And they will act out as if they're, as if they're the problem. Science has proven that over and over. But Jeff, because a person, when you believe that you are unlovable, you don't deserve to be loved, that you, just, you don't like the punishment, you don't like the pain you're living in, you just don't like this, like this life full of hell that you're going through, but yet you feel you deserve it. And you live your life according to that. These people are hard, with, other than a miracle of, of, the, of the grace of God, to reach their hearts because they believe the lie. And it has formed such a belief system that is so hard and they resist the truth. But God bestowed grace that on his deathbed, he received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. See, nothing is too hard for God. But I'm saying, I'm, I'm just encouraging you, don't give up on those who seem to be impossible because nothing is impossible for our God. But you see, friends, we have to embrace truth and stop believing the lies. But there's a warfare, there's an enemy sitting on your shoulder telling you that you're no good, that you're a loser, that you deserve all the pain and misery that you have in your life. God doesn't love you. You've tried it before and you've failed. Oh, you claim to be a Christian. I saw you doing this. And I, saw, I heard you say that. You see, they allow these accusations to judge them. Instead of looking, taking, again, going back to that realistic view and saying, look. Yes, you're right. A Christian doesn't act like that. A Christian doesn't say, doesn't say those types of things. But I'm a work in process. God believes in me, even when I don't believe in myself. God believes in me. And I'm going to trust him. And he's going to see me through because he sees the end from the beginning. He is going to bring me through this thing as long as I trust him. Then finally, the third thing is that we have to release the past and embrace the future. Release the past and embrace the future. The Apostle Paul says this in verse 14 of Philippians 3. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You see, friends, your past is designed to keep you there. Your past is designed to keep you there. You know, it's interesting that Jesus says, better than a millstone be placed around your neck that you call it then that you cause one of these little ones to stumble. Why? Because if you wound a child, he spends his whole lifetime trying to figure out why he's messed up. That's all of us. That's all of us. Trying to figure out why I do what I do. Why I've had failed relationships. Why I've failed at various things I have attempted to do. Why I've failed at relationships. Why I've failed at all these things. Because remember, a child takes 100% responsibility for all the pain that's in their lives. And you grow up believing that lie. And you spend your whole life trying to fix that. But friends, if you, but if you will press forward, God has already prepared your future and your reward. Paul, the Apostle Paul, had to... Re- had to release his past identity as, as Saul, a persecutor of Christians, in order to move forward in the ministry in which God had called him. Let me paint a picture of the Apostle Paul for you. 
The Bible says the Apostle Paul, when he was Saul of Taurus, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And his mission was to kill and to persecute Christians. He would go house to house, knocking on doors and dragging out men who professed Christianity. Can't now... We, 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 we know the Apostle Paul and, and Silas are in prison, and they're going through all these things. You know, Paul spent a lot of time in prison, and he wrote over two-thirds of the New Testament while in prison. But don't you think that the enemy was there to tell him that he is no good? That, that you killed Christians. How can you, how can you say that you're going to write letters to Christians to encourage them, and now you're claiming to be an apostle? How can that be? And every time Paul would, would nod off to sleep, I can, I can just imagine the devil bringing back to his remembrance the screaming of the children and the wives, not my husband, not my dad. Can you imagine that being played over and over and over in Paul's mind? We just read the print on the pages and just kind of read over it nonchalantly. But the Apostle Paul had to live through that nightmare every day of his life. Think about that. And how many of us grieve? We watch these, these commercials on TV of the hungry children and we want to empty our wallets and, and send them food and money to help them. But can you imagine these little children who are watching their dads being stoned before their very eyes and it's the Apostle Paul that's doing it? And here Paul has a great transformation. And can you imagine the humility and the brokenness of one who was killing and persecuting Christians and making many children an orphan? He had to live with that. And we just read it on the pages and move on. But Paul lived with this nightmare every day of his life. But yet... In, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 4 through 6, Paul says this. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. See, friends, we understand that the very same Greek word in the New Testament here that's used for persecuting the church and to press on are the exact same word for persecuting and pressing on. And if you understand that, that is the key to understand how Paul overcame his past. Because just as he once chased Christians, persecuted and put them into prison and, and executed them with that same vigor and drive, he now chases after the things of God. So friends, you, if you come to a realization that the things in your past the things that were toxic in our lives can be used as fuel to motivate us to action. Because can you imagine, Paul, now I'm going to win as many as I can for Jesus. I, I may have killed quite a few, but I'm going to win, I'm going to win ten times that. I'm going to win a hundred times that. That same fuel motivated him to action, to share his experience. And I share this, friends, with you to, to come to this understanding that God does not waste a hurt or an experience. But he, he allows that experience to shape you for his purpose. God doesn't allow that to be wasted. Maybe the things you're going through right now, you can have a pity party and, and, sing, and sing, woe is me. Why do I have to go through this? Why does this happen to me? Why does this happen to my family? 
Again, it didn't take God by surprise. And God is not going to allow that hurt or that bad experience to go unused if you will yield to him. He will use you to impact somebody else's life. So in closing, let me sh- listen, to the, listen to the testimony of the Apostle Paul. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 16, listen to this. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me. That's grace. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And listen to this. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy that in me first Christ Jesus might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Paul says, I went through all these things to show you that I was the chief of sinners, that if God can save me, he can save anyone. Paul is saying that God has, God's grace is exceedingly abundant. So sometimes we think that we're beyond help. But he says that his grace is exceedingly abundant. Paul obtained grace and mercy for the things he did in his past. God will blot out all your transgressions and he will provide forgiveness when we, when we repent and we ask for his grace to help. See, friends, so many times we try to do these things in our own strength. But we need grace to help. Grace to help. It's coming in humility. It says, God, if you don't show up, we're in trouble. I say that whenever I preach. (laughs) (laughs) But God, if you don't show up, if you don't show up, I can't make it. His grace is so exceedingly abundant, which means there's nothing that you have ever done or will ever do that you can't receive his forgiveness for. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves you. And you may think that you have committed the unforgivable sin, that you, that you deserve the punishment. Jesus took your punishment on the cross. You don't have to. He loves you. He loves you more than you love yourself. Praise God. Friends, I hope that this message encourages you to let the past be the past. We need to, again, have a realistic view. I'm not, we're talking about being in denial. We're not being in denial here. We're being honest and authentic and transparent. But a lot of times we don't know what the realistic view is because we're we're allowing the wounds of our past to drive our behavior. Soon we'll have another class in October of the Trek program. And I'd encourage you, if if you want to sign up for that program, if you have any questions, call the church office or email me. My email address is on the back of your bulletin. I can answer those questions for you. But I believe that if the enemy can keep us in this state of confusion, in this state of defeatism, that we will never reach our full potential in Christ. See, friends, I believe that if we are not appropriating all that Jesus died for me to be, to that degree, he died in vain. 
if I'm not appropriating the fullness of the cross and the power of his resurrection. And I believe that the, the trek is one of the tools that he has given us to help us to bring understanding. Again, not an excuse, not a blame shifting, but an understanding so that we can become the people that he fully intended us to be. Amen? Amen. Let me just pray with you. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.